Hey, as we get ready to go into part two of the message series, I wanted to again mention the book because we sold out uh, last week, and so we ordered in some more copies. It's actually where the idea, uh, the initial idea for this series came from, uh, a book that we read some time ago called The Christian Atheist by uh, Craig Rochelle, and it deals with a lot more than we can cover in a three-week series. It's only $10. We're just charging what we pay for the book. So uh, stop by and get a copy of that on your way out today. And again, welcome back for this series. We're talking about the Christian atheist. And some of you, when you hear that, you're like, what in the world does that even mean? That doesn't even seem to go together. That's an oxymoron, isn't it? How can you even use the word Christian and atheist in the same expression? And here's what we're saying a Christian atheist is, as strange as that may sound. A Christian atheist is somebody who believes in God, who believe, believes in God, but actually lives their life as though God does not exist. A Christian atheist, somebody who believes in God, you walk up to him. I mentioned to you last week, 70, 70 to 75% of Americans in totality. I'm not talking about like church people. I'm just talking about the general population in America. You walk up to them. Do you believe in the existence of God? Seven or seven, about seven and a half out of every 10 would say, absolutely. I believe in the existence of God. Well, then if you take it a step further and say, well, if you believe in the existence of God, do you also happen to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and just a little bit less percentage, but about 70% of those would say, absolutely, I believe in the, in the existence of God and that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that. Now, again, we're not, it's not what we do. It's not who, he, who we are. It's not a part of my DNA. Uh, so we're not casting stones. We're not sitting in judgment. That's not what we're doing. We're just making uh, real observations. And to take that and say, does that mean then 70 to 75% of people in America all people, general population, believe in the existence of God and that Jesus is the Son of God, does that mean that all of them are living their life in a way that is honoring God? Are they living really a Christian life? I shared with you a verse last week. I'm not going to go back to it except to mention it quickly. Uh, the scriptures that says, it was actually in James, where it says, you believe in God, good. You believe in God, good. That's a good thing. But then James followed it up by saying, even the demons shudder. Even they believe. So just believing in God is not enough. We've got to have a relationship with God. And last week, we talked about when you, or you or I, or anybody for that matter, uh, believe in the existence of God, but do not really know God, but do not. And we talked about that. If you were not here, you can listen to it as a podcast. You can go to the church's website, and you can check it out that way. But uh, today, I want to talk to you a very, very important subject, just like last week, uh, but different in this regard. This morning, I want to talk to you about uh, this idea of when we believe in the existence of God, but we don't actually fear God. We believe in the existence of God, but we don't actually fear God. And I'm not talking about like a frightened, uh, you know, unhealthy fear of God. When I'm mentioning the fear of God in this context, I'm talking about uh, reverence for God, just having this respect, this healthy fear, just like in awe of the power and the greatness and, and the supremacy of God. And, and it usually looks something like this. If somebody says, well, you know what? I believe in God, 
but I don't really fear God, then typically it, it translates into something like this. Uh, well, you know what? I believe in God, but here's what I'm going to do. I believe in him, but I'm only going to take the parts about God that I really like best. I'm only going to take the parts of God and God's word, the Bible. Uh, I believe in God, but I'm only going to take and apply to my life the things that I like. All the other things that I'm not real crazy about or that get in the way of my lifestyle, I'm going to reject the rest of it. Or, or how about this? I, I, I believe in God, but I don't fear him enough to really take him seriously in my life. And friends, anytime that becomes, and it can happen to any of us, any of us, it can happen to you, it can happen to me, where we just say, I believe in God, but I, you know, I don't really fear God to the extent that I, you know, have this awe and reverence and respect for God, so I'm going to do what I really want. I'm going to do some of the things that the Bible talks about that I like doing and easy for me to do, but I'm not going to, like, take it, you know, all, you know, because there's parts of it I don't really want to live out in my life, and it's basically, and I'll mention it this way, uh, if a person has that much Mindset, it's basically customized Christianity. Customized Christianity. And, and, it, and it's a little bit like this. You know what? I love the love of God. I love hearing about it. I love reading about it. I love thinking about the love of God, but I don't want to talk about or hear about the wrath of God. How many of you know that both of them are true? How many of you know? The love and the wrath of God, they're both true. But it's like, well, I want to hear about the love of God or think about, or how about this one? I believe and I embrace and I long for the grace of God, but, but this whole justice side of God where God can judge, I don't know about that. You know what I'm interested in? I'm interested in the blessings of God upon my life. I want to be blessed by God, but do I really have to follow all of Jesus' teachings? Because some of them really get in the way of how I want to live my life. I'll take the parts of the Bible, as I mentioned, but sections of it that are challenging the way that I want to live my lifestyle. You know, I'm not sure. You know, I want God's favor in my life. I want his goodness. I want his mercy. I want his provision. But, but I don't want him to disturb my sexuality. I don't want him getting in the way of my sex life because I'm going to do with my life and my body what I want. And I don't want God encroaching upon my time. My time is my time. And I work hard for my time. And I work all during the week. And and, you know, all of my time ought to be my, my time. Or I certainly don't want God infringing on how I'm going to use my money. It's my money. You know, you've heard me mention this before. I'm going to get all I can. I'm going to can all I get. I'm going to sit on the can. It is mine. And I don't want God telling me how I need to use my money. Or I don't want God messing with my behavior patterns or, or my addictions or my habits or my impulses. Do I believe in God? Yeah, I believe in God. But do I really fear God? Do I respect? Do I revere him? So here's what I'll do. This is what a Christian atheist says. I'll just apply to my life what I'm most comfortable with, and I'm going to ignore those things that will obstruct my will for my life and my plans for my life. Now, David, you know the story of David. I don't have time to get into David's story. But in his story, we know that this is a guy that was greatly used by God. The end result of his life is positive. He goes down. Actually, you can check this out sometime in the New Testament. It says that David, it says it in the Old Testament, but a lot of you know that uh, he just had some major sin problems in his life, and he's responsible for all kind of stuff that went wrong and just sins uh, gravely against God, against other people. And, and yet David, I mentioned this last week because David so loved God and longed for God, he got back on the right track. But he knew about sin because sin had been a reality for his life. 
And I want you to look at what David says. Look at this verse up on the screen. This is Psalm 36, verses 1 and 2. He says, it's very important, two verses here. Sin whispers to the wicked. Sin whispers to the wicked deep within their hearts. They have what? No fear of God at all. They don't have no, you know, Christian atheists believe in God, but they don't have a fear of God. They have no fear of God at all. In their blind conceit, they cannot see how wicked they really are. And David could not just speak from that, you know, as King David and this man who walked with God, but he could speak uh, to it out of his own personal uh, life, what he had experienced, how that he had become blind to his own sin. Now, do you realize that sin is what, and you saw it there on the screen, do you realize that as David says that sin has a voice? It does. David said, sin whispers to us. And you probably know that by now. Sin whispers to us all the time. And generally, it sounds something like this. Generally, when sin whispers to us, it basically says, you know what? Do whatever you want. You're your own boss. Do whatever you want. It is your life. It is your body. It is your thinking. It is your mind. Do. That's what sin whispers. Do whatever you want. It's all available to you and for you. Sin whispers, you know what? If you do this, yeah, it may be wrong. and uh, it, it may be wrong, but sin whispers, it, it's not that really big deal as long as you know it's not hurting anybody else. Sin whispers that. You're not hurting anybody else by doing this. You're, you're not hurting anybody else when you do this or you think this or you look at that or that's a part of your life. You're not hurting anybody. Sin whispers. It's okay because it's not hurting anybody. The only person it could even potentially hurt would be you, and it's probably not even going to hurt you. Sin whispers. Uh, you know what? Don't allow other people to impose their values on you. You're your own person. You're your own person. As a buddy of mine says, you're a grown man or you're a grown woman. You can do whatever you want. How about this? Sin whispers, don't go too far with the whole Jesus thing or you're going to end up a spiritual nutcase or zealot at best. So don't get too serious. Now, can I just pause here for a moment and ask you personally, for you to evaluate, do you have a healthy fear of God? Do you live your life in awe of God? Do you have this reverence and respect for God, his greatness and his power? There is nobody. The scriptures declare it. It, it is true. There is nobody like God. So often in my devotional life, I find myself praying something like this. God, I just give you worship right now. I praise you. I don't want to just praise you with my lips. I want to praise you with the entirety of my life. And here's what I recognize. You deserve my praise. There's nobody in heaven or on earth that could ever compare with you. God, you are powerful. You are mighty. You're sovereign. Do we recognize that about God? That God's not just our buddy? That God is holy and he's righteous and he's just in all of his ways? I mean, do we have that healthy fear of God? Max Lucado, in a book that he wrote some time ago, he makes a statement. The guys are going to put it up on the screen. He says, you don't impress the officials at NASA with a paper airplane. That's true, isn't it? You don't boast about your crayon sketches in the presence of Picasso. You don't claim equality with Einstein because you can write H2O. 
and you don't boast about your goodness in the presence of perfect. That's a great statement, isn't it? This is a very important uh, part of our lives. Do we believe in God? All right, that's good. James would say, that's good, good. Even the demons believe in God. But do we fear God? It's a very important truth found in John chapter 1. I'm not going to put the verses up on the screen. But John tells us that when Jesus came into the world, listen to this now. John said when Jesus came into the world, he was full of grace and truth. When Jesus came into the world, he was full of grace and truth. Now, the reason I mention that verse, and I'm not going to take much time here, is, is some people in life, they, they're like this. It's all truth and no grace. All truth. H have you ever met anybody like that? If you have, don't, don't nod at them. Don't, don't light. Don't cut your eyes. Uh, do you know anybody? You probably have a friend or extended family member in your life that that is, that is how they live their life. It's all truth and no grace. You know what, friends? That's a tough person for me to be around. It's not that I don't appreciate the, the truth part, but it's, it's both and. It's not either or. How many of you know that? Uh, John said, the apostle John said, Jesus, when he came into the world, he came with grace and truth. And if a person is all truth and no grace, then usually they become legalistic, highly judgmental, pious, sanctimonious. You just feel like a low life sinner, even if you have a vibrant relationship with Jesus, just being in their presence. Why? They are all truth, but no grace. And that's not good. But the antithesis of that is not good either. To say, well, you know what? I'm all grace. I'm all grace. But then to have no truth. See, if you and I, and if I, if I am going to tip the scale in any direction, I tip the scale in, in the grace department. And, and I hope that, that that works out well for me. I believe that it will. I don't want God to say to me when I stand before him on my last day, hey, you were just so harsh. There was no grace. I'd rather God say, you know what? My grace was alive and vibrant in you. But I've got to make sure that especially in, in my own life and in, in working with so many other people that. I'm not just all grace and, and no truth. It's, it's both and, not either or. Some people who only want grace and no truth, it, it's all about freedom. I can do whatever I want. When the Bible says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free, that means I can do anything. As long as I love Jesus, as long as I believe in the existence of God, I'll, I'll do whatever I want whenever I want it. So for them, when it's all grace and no truth, it becomes freedom. It becomes license. It becomes immunity. It becomes absolution. I can do anything with my, you know, I believe in God. I love Jesus. How, how many of you, wave your hand if you understand what I'm talking about right now. It is not all truth and no grace, and it's not all grace and no truth. John said Jesus came into the world, and when he came, he was full of grace and truth. So it's the purpose of fearing God because that's what we're talking about. And when I'm mentioning that, is that based on the fact that God is harsh, so we need to fear him? Or God is angry and he's just looking for you or I to step out of line for just a moment so that he can knock us over the head? Is that why we fear God? Is God like a parent that can never be pleased no matter what you do? It is never enough. Is that how God is? Is that why we fear God for any of those reasons? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I want to just say something that I don't know 
what's going on in your life necessarily. I believe that somebody, in fact, I believe it's for more than just somebody. I believe there's a lot of people that need to hear what I'm about to say, and that is this. Your mind cannot even begin to grasp the love that God has for you. It is outrageous. It is unconditional. It's extraordinary in every way. And his love for you is so great that it's actually personified in Jesus, in his birth. His birth means something. The birth of Jesus was actually an expression of the love of God because Jesus was in heaven with God. But God knew that we needed a sin substitute, somebody that our sins could be placed upon. So uh, God took Jesus, who was in heaven, his only son, sent him to the earth. That was an expression of God's love, personified in Jesus, in the way that Jesus lived his life, was ep epitomizing uh, love. His teachings, his death was actually a demonstration. His death on the cross was actually a demonstration of love. His resurrection, his ascension. In fact, just before Jesus ascended back to the Father in heaven, he said, it is a good thing. It is a good thing for me to go away. And the disciples were like, no, it's not. No, it's not. It is not a good thing. Stay right here with us, Jesus. Do not go. Do not leave us. Do not. Sort of like I said to my grandkids a couple of years ago, do not leave your pop Paul, under any condition. And they're like, do not leave us, Jesus. He said, no, you don't get it. He said, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because when I go away, I'm going to send to you the Holy Spirit. And he's your comforter. And he's going to be with you like I can't be in your house 24-7. You know, Jesus had placed upon himself the limitations of his own uh, flesh. Uh, we talked about that recently, how Jesus, for the first time in his life, got hungry. He's like, wow, I know there's a Chick-fil-A around here somewhere. You know, Jesus would need sleep. He felt pain, and he could only be in one place at one time. And so even his uh, resurrection and ascension back to the Father in heaven was an expression. He personified God's love. So I ask you a question as a follow-up to that. So should God be at fault simply because he wants us to love him in return? Is God at fault because he just wants us to love him and respect him and reverence him? I mean, look at everything that God did for us, right down to creating us. Is God wrong for wanting to be loved in return? We understand that. Fundamentally, we get that, right? I mean, if you love your spouse, you're hoping that your spouse is going to love you in return. If you, if you love your kids, you hope that your kids are going to love you in return. If you have grandkids, you hope that they're going to love you in return. And they do because you give them stuff all the time, just like I do. Is that what's happening? Is that what's going on? When you love your siblings, when you love your friends, you want to be loved. So should God be at fault because God wants to be loved in return? So to fear God is not a bad thing. There's wonderful benefits that are now in play when you and I fear God. And, and I want you to look at this on the screen. This is so good. Fearing God has all these upside benefits. Look at this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. When you and I fear God, it gives us wisdom, the ability to make right decisions. Look at this second one. The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life. God is all about life. And the fear of the Lord, it helps us to avoid decisions that can be destructive in our lives. Look at this next one. True humility and fear of the Lord lead to riches and honor and long life. And so fearing God, you know, it has the upside benefit of giving to us wisdom and, and it's life giving and God wants to bless our life. So our reasonable response, think about this now, 
I know I'm talking fast this morning because I see the clock ticking, and, and I'm from Georgia, and some of you never dream you could hear somebody from Georgia talk this fast. But our reasonable response to the blessings and the grace and love of God is to simply love him back and to revere him. Is that not true? If you believe that, just sort of wave at me so I know that you're listening and I know your coffee kicked in early. So let's take a breath here for just a moment, and I want to raise another question for you to think through. What is the greatest evidence? What is the greatest evidence that proves our love and respect for a perfect and holy God? How is that evidenced in our lives personally that our righteous Father in heaven, that we really, really do love him and we really do respect him and we do reverence him and we live in awe of him? How is that really proven in like our day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month kind of lives? It is this. It is complete obedience to him. Jesus said, here's, here's how you prove you're devoted to me. Jesus said, if you do what I say. Those who, who know me, those who follow my commandments, those are the people that, that really, at the end of the day, know me. So it's complete obedience to God. It's not partial obedience. It's easy for any of us. It's easy for you. It's easy for me to be partially obedient to God. To be obedient, that normally plays out like this. I'm going to obey God in the areas that I want to obey God and that are easy for me to obey God. But in the areas that are not easy for me or I don't really want to do, then we can say, well, obedience is obedience. But uh, if truth be told, a lot of times we practice partial obedience. Or, or we practice delayed obedience. I, I know, God, that I'm going to, uh, I need to do this, and I'm going to do it some point in the future out there somewhere, uh, delayed obedience. Or it may be reluctance, reluctant obedience. It's an obedience instead that you and I ought to strive for that's like an all-in obedience, a prompt obedience, a cheerful obedience. I was reading a book by David Platt a number of years ago, and uh, he says this. Listen to this paragraph from the book. He said, uh, we spurn our creator's authority over us. And then he adds this. He said, God beckons storm clouds, and they come. He tells the wind to blow and the rain to fall, and they obey immediately. He speaks to the mountains, you go there, and he says to the sea, you stop there, and they do it. Everything, Platt says, in all creation responds in obedience to the creator until we get to you and me. And we have the audacity to look God in the face and to say no. So not, how do we prove that we really fear God and love God? It's, it's, we have this obedience, this all-in, prompt, cheerful obedience to God. Now, uh, generally speaking, Obedience has three progressions to it. And I'll just hit this real quick in case you're taking notes. And some of you may be doing that on your phone or your tablet. But uh, for the most part, and again, I'm speaking in generalizations, that obedience has three progressions to it. The first progression, typically when we get serious about obeying God or when we start obeying God, uh, a lot of times this first progression, sort of a first stair step, it's, it's like uh, fear. We, we obey God out of fear. And it's not even the kind of fear that I'm talking about today where we just love God because we love him and we, we, we respect him and we revere him and we stand in awe of him. We just have that, that healthy, holy fear of God. It's that's not what I'm talking about here. It's like the fear of reprisal or the fear of punishment or, you know, God's going to get me. And so I better be obedient just like his child. I better, you know, there's going to be consequences if I don't obey my mom or dad. And so a lot of times uh, obedience starts at the fear level. 
But then there's another progression. We obey not out of fear, but we obey more out of obligation. And that's when our character begins to kick in and we, we obey God because we know it's the right thing to do and we discipline ourselves to obey God and we obey out of obligation. We know God, we love God, we've received Jesus Christ as the Savior and the leader of our life and we obey because, you know, our character, we've been changed, we've been transformed. We're, we're not just informed, we've been transformed by the power of God. And so we want to obey, but a lot of times it's out of obligation. And that's all, right. that's all right. But here's a place, the progression of obedience that all of us want to move to. We want to move beyond just fear. We want to move beyond obeying God out of obligation to where we obey out of love. We just, we obey God because we love him. We love him. We want to do the right things, not because we're going to be punished. We want to do the right things, not because if we don't do the right things, it's going to smack us over the head and stamp us out like a little bug. We obey him because we love him. Because we love him, we don't want to break his heart. We don't want to make him sad. And we obey out of love. And this is a progression of obedience that all of us need to strive for and try to live at that level uh, more and more. John Ortberg once said this. He said, when we truly grow, then obeying God no longer looks like something. I like how he says this. And when we obey God, when we're growing, it no longer looks like something that requires an appreciation banquet. It just looks like what should come naturally. So a Christian atheist, a Christian atheist says, you know what? I believe in God, but I don't really fear God. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I'm going to customize my Christianity. How many of you know there's all kinds of things you can customize? You can customize your house. You can customize your car. You can customize your food. You can customize your clothes. In fact, while I was studying, working on this talk, I looked up. I never knew that this phrase existed, but it exists in a business culture, and, and it's called mass customization. Mass customization. And you know what it simply means? And I wrote it down. It is a process of modifying to meet a consumer's need. And we do that. If we're not careful, that's what we want to do with Christianity. We want to modify Christianity to meet our consumer's need. I want the grace of God. I want the love of God. I want the forgiveness of God. But I don't want to hear about this part of God. And I want this part of the Bible because I like this part of the Bible. It's what I want to do anyhow. So it makes me feel good about doing it since I want to do it anyhow. And there's all these personal benefits. And so, no, let's not do our Christianity that way. Mass customization. Let's not live our lives where we say, all right, I'm going to take the Bible and I'm going to go and, and I'm going to, I'm going to look at the Bible with a personal selection theory. Now, some of you, some of you at the mere thought of taking your Bible, and this is not a Bible, by the way, in case you can, I could, if you're far back, you never would have known, but I'm just telling you, it's not the Bible. But if I were to say, all right, you got your Bible and, uh, here, take your Bible, open it up, and you were open up. I'd say, all right, here, here's what I want to do. See this pair of scissors? I want to give to you this pair of scissors, and you cut out the parts of the Bible that you really don't want to do or you really don't agree with or whatever. The, you'd be like, what are you kidding? That would just sound so atrocious and heinous. No, I never take the Bible and cut out sections of it. We'd never do that. But how many of you know that all of us actually do it? We just don't have scissors in hand. Is that true? Why is it so quiet in here all of a sudden? 
quiet. It's eerily quiet. I don't, are you here? I know it's, are you here? I've done that. Have you ever done that with the Bible? And we just cut it out. We wouldn't literally, what are you doing? Oh, nothing. Just cutting out sections of the Bible with these scissors right here. But we can live that way. We can do it with our lifestyle. I'm going to pick. I'm going to choose. I'm going to do what I want. And I'm not going to allow anybody, as I mentioned earlier, to impose their will. It's just narrow-minded, you know, Christians that think that way anyhow. You know, relationships. I'll have whatever relationships I want whenever I want them. My habits. It's my life. It's not hurting anybody but me. Stay out of my business. My time, as I mentioned last week. My time, my treasure, you know, my talents. That's all about me. Don't mess with my time because it's a valuable commodity. Don't tell me what to do with my money. You know, these are my talents and I'll do. And if I'm too tired to use them for God because I burn them up at the work week, well, then so be it. And what do we do? We have mass customization with our Christianity. We modify it to meet our need. Will you take for just a couple of moments... And would you just open up your thinking and your heart to a couple of questions right here and ask yourself this question. I'm asking me. I've told you this before. Before God ever allows me to deliver a talk, he works me over. And I'll just tell you, I'll just tell you, a lot of times he works me over harder than you would even imagine before I ever have permission to deliver it. And so I've got to ask myself the questions before I ever ask you. And it would be this. In what areas of your life are you not, not fearing God are not obeying God. Think about that. I've got to ask myself that. You ought to ask yourself that. In what area or areas of my life am I not fearing and obeying God? Second question, follow-up question to that. Then what's your plan? What are you going to do about it? If you find yourself trapped in this, would you just make, even right now, a deliberate decision to turn that around? In these moments just before we're done, would you just nail this down with God? Would you maybe even in these quiet moments, because it's a little quiet in here today, and I knew it would be based on the subject matter, would you just say, Heavenly Father, I totally believe in you. I do. I really do believe in you. But more than that, I I believe not just in your existence. I believe that you are powerful. I believe that you are holy. I believe that you are righteous. I believe that you are loving. I believe that you are sovereign. I believe that you are omnipotent. I believe. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to fear you. Not like cringe fear. I'm going to respect you. And I'm going to revere you. And I'm going to live in awe of you, and I'm going to love you, and I'm going to obey you because I know that's what you want me to do. And maybe you've not been fully obedient to God, and you just say, you know what, I'm going to turn that around. No longer will it be said of me that I'm going to practice partial obedience, or I'm going to practice delayed obedience, or I'm going to practice reluctance obedience. I'm just going to obey God to the best of my ability. Will you mess up? Absolutely. Let me tell you how often you will mess up, more often than you thing and you will mess up until you no longer have breath in your body but because you love God and the highest purpose of your life is to obey God you know what you do if you get knocked down you get back up and you just say God here here I go again here I go again so like a Georgia Bulldog football player they get knocked down and get right back up okay poor illustration all right a a Florida Gator gets knocked down and gets right back up that is not true that is not Bible not not at all not at all. <laughs> but just say, God, yeah, I messed up. 
a sin. I got knocked down, but I'm not staying down. In fact, I love this expression. I heard it a long time ago. If you ever get knocked down while you're down, pick up something that's going to help you the next time. Learn while you're down. Get up and just say, God, here I go. Because I love you. And I revere you. And I want to live my life in awe of you. And I obey you. And you deserve my love. And you deserve my obedience. So as we wrap up this talk, I quickly admit that I don't know the story of your life. I don't. I don't know your background necessarily. I don't know how you were raised, whether you were raised a church person or, or you were completely unchurched. I don't know your past hurts or your past pain or experiences. I don't know your past guilt. I don't know your past shame or regrets. I don't know your story. I wish I knew your story, but I, it's impossible for me to know everybody's story. What I do know, just simply because I've read it, it's not like I'm a know-it-all because I'm always trying to learn. But what I do know because I've just read it and reread it and read it again, is I do know the story of Jesus. And I know that he was born of a virgin. And I know that he lived a sinless life. And I know that his teachings were anointed by God. And I know he performed miracles. And I know that he went to the cross with your sin and my sin on him. And that he died there on the cross for our sins. And that he was resurrected. And he's now sent his Holy Spirit to be with us every moment of every day. I know the story of Jesus. And maybe right now you would invite him if you don't already know him. And I'm not just talking about you believe in the existence of God. I'm talking about knowing him personally, knowing him and wanting to love him and obey him and serve him with all your life. Would you stand with me? Everybody stand. And as you stand, would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? Right there where you're standing. If, if you are just saying, you know what, I need to, I've, I've prayed and I've received Christ into my life at some point in the past, but I know, I know that I need to love God more. I know that I need to follow the teachings of Jesus. I know that I need to fear God more in my life. Then you just sort of re-up on that. You just sort of recommit to that. If you're here today and you just say, you know what, Jeff, I've never really personally received Christ into my life. I believe in God. I'm part of the 70 to 75% of Americans in general who believe in the existence of God. And I go beyond that. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. But I don't know him. I don't really know him. I've not accepted Jesus into my life as my Savior and the leader of my life. You can do that right now. You can ask him to forgive you of your sin. You can ask him to give you a fresh start, to give you wisdom and direction in your life. And while every head is bowed and every eye is closed, if you're here today and you want to receive Jesus as a Savior and the leader of your life, not just knowing him, but like really knowing him, and while nobody's looking around, you stick your hand straight up in the air as high as you can. Just stick it straight up in the air and just say, Jesus, I need you. I need you. I need you. I want you. I want you into my life. All right, you can put your hands down and just right there in your heart and your mind, just say, Jesus, come into my life. Jesus, be the Savior and the leader of my life. Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Jesus, give me a brand new start. I want to love you. I want to love you in return. I want to obey you, not partially, not reluctantly, not haphazardly. I want to obey you. And I know you want to bless my life. And I, I want to live in fear, not cringing, but just respecting you and honoring you. Just living in awe of you because you are amazing in every way. So, Jesus, I give my life to you today. Come into my life. 
make me a brand new person. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, can we put our hands together and give Jesus a big hand? Out of time, two real quick things. Don't miss next week. I promise you, you need to be here. And the book is out at the table. Love you, everybody. Have an awesome week. See you next Sunday.